Welcome back to another episode of Wise Words Book Summaries. It's been a while. It's been about, what, a month and a half, two months now? Yeah, two months, something like um, that, yeah. I apologise, <laughs> I, I had my exams, so... You know, don't I was going to say, and we're still on habits. <laughs> I know, we're still fucking on habits. Not too much longer. And then we're going to get on to uh, health and fitness, so stay with us for that. Um, but today we're going to be doing uh, Good Habits, uh, Bad Habits by Wendy Wood, um, who is a psychologist... I don't know where she's actually located, but um, she's done a lot of literature on habits. And so this kind of book doesn't really approach habits from like a kind of behavioral um, perspective. It's more yeah. like a psychological neuroscientific perspective. Um, so it kind of looks at the underpinnings, the areas of the brain responsible, um, those kinds of things. Uh, yeah. So it's less actionable, it's, yeah. but quite informative. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's, it's, is way more for people who are more interested in sort of the underpinnings of why habits happen and why we yeah. use habits rather yeah. than, you know, how are you going to change your habits? I mean, obviously it does have some tips and tricks to, to help with that based upon uh, the science of habits, but it's, it, it's not the same as the the other previous books we've been reviewing like atomic habits and stuff like that, where it's purely yeah. um, here's how you can, you know, improve your habits immediately. Yeah. And I think it's quite interesting because a lot of the time I think you can get, you know, behavioral approaches that are very simplistic and it's like very step-like process um but it doesn't quite match with the neuroscience behind it um yeah and i think understanding a kind of neuroscientific like underpinning of them um you get a greater understanding of how they actually work uh but yeah so with that being said should we should we just jump in sweet should we start with persistence and change i think that sounds like a great place to start Cool. So when we make decisions, we consciously attend to relevant information and generate solutions. When we exert willpower, we actively engage mental effort uh, and energy. Decisions and willpower draw on what we call executive control functions in the mind and brain, which are thoughtful cognitive processes to select and monitor activities. When we look at successful people, we tend to attribute their success to willpower and rational thinking, whereas in fact there are multiple factors responsible for people's behavior and success. Decisions and willpower are tools suited for handling change, but not uh, not for making continued sacrifices that require persistence. That is because it would be highly inefficient to think every time we act. Um, persistence is a result of habit and does not reflect strong attitudes and plans. It is better suited for actions that need repeating, like recycling or taking out the bins. Love those examples. <laughs> actions where intentions don't va- matter very much. In fact, people who consciously report strong attitudes and plans continue with their past actions regardless. Um, I mean, you know, this is all pretty uh, self-explanatory for for people who've you know who are into their habits, yeah, uh, and who've been following some of our rec- uh, recent podcasts. I think I think that's a big point that she makes throughout this book. Actually, is like no matter how you know inspired you are or your aspirations, your goals, they're good for making the decision to start mm. a habit, but they're they're not they don't make any difference to whether you sustain and maintain a habit right the the key in that is just persisting is just consistency over and over again like we've said multiple times like literally just showing up telling your brain that it should attribute cognitive resources to doing this activity to doing this behavior 
And that's yeah. the key. It's like, you know, you could have the best intentions and, and, you know, be so inspired, but realistically that's not going to drive you to do it every single time because it's exhausting. Yeah. Right? Um, no, it is. No, hundred percent. It's using your, you know, prefrontal cortex and the executive control that you have consistently is, you know, never a sustainable strategy for, you know, maintaining habits it's just you know everybody i mean i'm sure everybody's been there where you know you've made a lot of decisions during the day and by by the time you're in the late afternoon you're absolutely knackered your brain you're just the only thing you feel like doing is you know relaxing or whatever and that's you know when you end up breaking your good habits let's just say you've been avoiding uh or eating healthy let's say avoiding sugar but because you've used your executive control too much then you sort of slip back into these uh yeah absolutely so to speak you know and because essentially you're going against the grain right like our brains want to conserve energy all the time right but like it does it based on what we're used to doing our behavior what we're used to like our routines okay so if you're constantly needing to try and think or like use willpower to achieve something then you're always going against the grain and you're just going to end up resenting like the actual behavior which a lot of people do. It's like, oh, I need to do this. I need to do this. And it's like, and then you don't achieve that. And then you resent yourself and you resent the action. And then you just cut the action. This uh, funny you saying the need to do reminds you of the uh, procrastination book. We re- I can't remember the name of it, but when he talked about choose how to do. Cha- yeah, choosing yeah. to do yeah, rather than needing. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's funny. Uh, okay. So continue on continuing on so a defining feature that makes habits so successful is that they are unaware of how the habit itself is contributing to the overall goal however when desires are not met or there is low motivation our conscious minds can interfere easily coming up with justifications for quitting this highlights the key to habits which is persisting despite our conscious intentions to do otherwise so you know when we're constantly telling ourselves oh i'm not feeling it it's too late. I don't want to have to go to the gym right now. It's literally just persisting through that period because that kind of voice gets drowned out over time. And then you just end up doing automatic behavior. Like it yeah. becomes automated. It's like, like you said before, it's about, you know, showing up, which is why, you know, in the other previous habit books we've, you know, reviewed, um, they talk a lot about, you know, reducing some of the habits to the smallest possible thing you can do because, you know, if that voice in your head is telling you something like, ah, oh, you know, I don't want to go to the gym today. If you reduce the the habit itself to being like 10 press-ups or even, even two press-ups, yeah. you know, it's pretty hard to rationalize, oh, I can't even, you know, justify getting on the ground now and doing two push-ups, which would jump yeah. towards, you know, my habit. And, and also, once again, the psychology of that is once you get down there and do two, you're more likely to do more because it's like, what's yeah. the point of doing two? Exactly. Um, but yeah. No, it's quite, it's, it's quite interesting. Um, and then there's this point here, which is another thing that she mentions a lot throughout the book is, uh, so this applies to both good and bad habits, you know, hence the title, as both types are underpinned by the same mechanism. It's just they have different goals. So essentially, you know, the mechanism doesn't discriminate between good or bad behavior good or bad behavior funny enough actually that's the control executive sort of function isn't it deciding yeah. which one's good or bad almost exactly you know? that's, that's where you use that control people like, is this good is this bad and then you're like okay oh, yeah. maybe in the grand scheme of things it's not so great but yeah continue. you're applying that judgment but essentially yeah. you're like you know the deeper cortical areas of your brain can't really tell the difference it just sees it as a behavior we're yeah. attributing whether it's good or bad like you said um 
Uh, yeah. So when habits and goals are in line, they smoothly integrate to guide our actions. We mindlessly respond to environmental cues in a kind of bottom up processing of the world as we find it. Um, I just quite like that, that, uh, that quote, just because I like this kind of, you know, when things are integrated, when they're in line, it makes it so much easier. Um, oh, you know. Yeah. I was even going to say there comes a level of like, um, self-confidence potentially is the word for when your goals and your habits are aligned or maybe oh, like satisfaction yeah. in yourself let's put it like maybe that's the best way of putting it but like well, yeah when when you feel like you're going in the right direction and the things you do daily are helping you get there there is a level of like being that means you feel within yourself like satisfied or pr- maybe even proud yeah um i think so because also whether you're like happiness. yeah and i think whether you're like conscious of it but now and then you will become conscious yeah. of it, right? It's but, not, you're not always like aware of your behavior. Yeah. But I think where, when you do, and it happens to be in line with your conscious attitudes towards whatever your behavior you're doing, then yeah. I think that is kind of like... You, you feel you know, good, rewarding. right? Yeah, Because exactly. in, my, in my head, you just think of it the opposite way. So like you, your goals are, um, are mismatched for your daily activities. That's when you kind of beat yourself up, isn't it? It's like, mm. oh, wow, I really want to be slip. Like I really want to lose weight. That's my goal but I've just eaten a load of sweets and like, you know, you have that impasse there where they're like not uh, mutually compatible and you're being like, Oh wow. I feel, I feel bad about myself now because my goal is this, but I'm not living up to the goal I've set myself. Whereas obviously the whole point where they integrate is like, my goal is this and I'm, and I'm taking the steps. Like I feel good because I've taken some steps to be there. Whereas obviously when they're not integrated, you know, in my head, it's also is a, is a recipe for like, I wasn't always depression is too strong, but a recipe for like, yeah sadness i guess or there's got to be a better word for that but a recipe to like to to not feel proud or not not feel content with we'll who probably you probably have like sense, so, you know low self-worth or, or yeah that's it or i think self-esteem because... i think self-respect or worth is probably the correct way of thinking about it yeah yeah because like well which is essentially you know how we conceptualize the the self-concept right there's yeah. an ideal version of us that we want to be yeah. and there's the actual version of us and if there's a discrepancy so like you know if your goal is you know you want to lose weight and your actions aren't in line with that well then that will create you know that you're moving further away from your goal than you want to be further away yeah. from your ideal version of yourself um yeah yeah no it's funny you say that as well because i was just thinking about it there is a level as well of like if you set yourself a goal and I feel I get this personally and then you do take a step back by maybe doing something which you know doesn't abide by that goal you do feel a sense of like guilt yeah yeah. like it's actually painful and I I, I've actually felt that the more I maybe value the goal the closer I get to the goal the more painful the step back is if that makes sense so like the longer you've been doing something let's just say it's like going to the gym um you know falling off the wheel actually hurts more now than it would have done when i first started because i haven't yeah. committed for so long but if you've like been committing to something for in fact i say i'll give you an example because i'm doing the dry january stuff and I, I i i'm technically allowed to drink on the 7th of february but now i'm sitting here being like what the hell like i've i've held on for this for so long now it'd be such a shame just to you know give it up and i'm more i'm i'm definitely way more um what's the word like motivated to not yeah. give it up now if that makes sense i'm, I'm sure we- it will at some point but it's still like right now i feel drinking will take a massive step back when I've done all this effort to not drink yeah. up, if that makes sense. It's... Yeah. And like you've invested more and also like, yeah. you know, all the, the listeners won't know this, but like, you know, you have other fitness goals. So, which yeah. are also, you know, 
associated with not drinking, yeah. right? So yeah. it's like well, your other behaviors also yes. build it as well. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's actually an interesting topic. It's like, you know, yeah, we can choose one goal and one habit to get us towards that. And that's ideal for when we're first starting out. We don't yeah. want to suddenly take on 20 different habits. But if the other ha- if you take on other habits that are also in line with that kind of or rooted in the same kind of goal. Yeah, to be honest, that's actually a massive point. I didn't think it's like health, about it as well. Health is yeah. like a broad category, right? So we could be yeah. like fitness, nutrition, everything like that. Yeah. And they kind of all build and, up and kind of hold you accountable. 100%. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then if one area is lacking, you're kind of like doing a disservice to the other areas. You know, if you're... You know, if you're doing all this work in the gym, but you're still going out and eating, you know, all the sweets on the yeah. planet, you're you're kind of doing yourself a bit of you know, a bit dirty there because you're putting all this effort in one area and you're missing out on you know like a supporting pillar. Let's just put it that way. Exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's uh, that's interesting when you think about it. Yeah. Um, cool. So the depths beneath a true habit is one that is performed automatically without conscious direction. While we perform habits, our minds can be thinking about something else. This means a lot of the time we are oblivious to our own habits because we are thinking uh, about other things. However, now and then our conscious minds can be triggered to focus on our behavior, allowing us to reevaluate it. And I mean, a, a classic example of this would be just you know people using their phones. The amount yeah. of time you know you you could be mid scrolling yeah. and then you'd be like, "Oh crap, I'm, I'm on my phone again!" Like it's what if I, if for me it's the, it's the one that's the the best at being disguised if that makes sense yeah, it's the one yeah, that you yeah. don't realize until you maybe you look at your screen time or i don't know 20 minutes have gone by and you're like oh oh god what have <laughs> yeah, I, what have I literally done? oh those short videos mate they are just yeah. a killer yeah just an hour goes what, by like that. but it is is that's the exact um example of something where it's like you can be thinking of other things whilst mm-hmm. you're doing it because you're not obviously you're not thinking oh i'm scrolling here i'm like i'm wasting like not even wasting your life so don't get me wrong because i think that actually is quite a good um like therapeutic use of time yeah, sometimes yeah. if you're like a busy person it's nice to just not think about anything and just you know scroll yeah, yeah. but this out. is the whole yeah. point where you're just you you know you're doing something without any conscious awareness of it and i think i'm definitely guilty of it where it's like i don't know something goes off on your phone and, and then 20 minutes later you, you you're still on it and it's just like yeah, yeah i wasn't on my phone before what was i trying to do before and why yeah, have i yeah. you know suddenly been <laughs> where am i like <laughs> yeah. no, no but it is a little bit like that. It, it, is. Is. it is a bit like it because is. if you had a task before as well that technically you were in that task or in the process of doing that task and this yeah. completely distracts you and you're like you're, you're right you just be like jesus what was i doing before like what was here yeah, like oh, where, where am i yeah yeah um and I'm sure most people who are listening to this probably suffer from some form of that. And if you don't, Jesus Christ, I, I want some of your genetics because it's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty impressive that you can, you know, I guess if you never got introduced to phones, you could probably uh, be okay. Yeah. Um, sorry. Okay. So <laughs> one of the common triggers uh, is being with others. And this can make us uh, become self-conscious and turn the spotlight inward to monitor what we would uh, normally do without much scrutiny at all. That's interesting in terms yeah. of, I like that. Being around others makes you. It's it's funny because by default as well, being around others always does make you more self conscious. Because let's yeah. just say I'm walking around my house now that I'm not seeing anybody. I don't care how I look. But the moment that somebody else appears, you're kind of like, oh, now I'm being judged. Almost is that feeling. So regardless of whether it's how you look or what you're doing, you're going to be uh, more self conscious. Exactly. Yeah. It, around it, others, it makes you look at your observe your own behaviour. Because yeah. we we all hold our reputation in high regard, you know that means a lot to us, especially when we're near others or with others, um, and we want to make sure that we're acting appropriately 
whatever that means in that specific context <laughs> but like uh yeah it's 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 funny and it's also it's like you know sometimes especially living with like flatmates right because let's say you've never lived with flatmates you're just used to living right you've never had a different situation and now when you're living with flatmates someone will comment and they'll be like that's a bit odd and you're like yeah. is it oh i've done this my whole life like i've never thought about that um yeah it's weird the same thing with like living with a girlfriend and whatnot it's uh, you yeah know, they kind you of just like, like idiosyncrasy sort of thing yeah sort of yeah. things you do little implicit um, rules yeah, little little pet peeves you have, maybe maybe little like I don't know routines you do with like placing things on in yeah. certain areas or whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah it's funny. So, but it's, I think you could harness that. Um, you know, if you if you're aware that like you know, a lot of the time we're not aware of our own behaviour. But so, if you were to do it into, this know, is interesting. You know, I just thought of like an interesting thing you could do potentially in in like your house, and it's probably really kind of weird and scary. But like, have a poster of like somebody looking at you. <laughs> um so i i don't know if you ever remember when we used to go out uh clubbing to like bridge and stuff in back in yeah. Yeah, yeah they had those like you were going in the rhino and they had the, like, people like peeking over and looking at you it was oh so, yes such yeah, a weird yeah, concept yeah. but like yeah. it kind of made you way more self-conscious just because yeah. you could see some eyes That's a good and point. there is something about like i don't know like the perception of some somebody looking at you might change the way you behave and it could be it's probably not something you want to do forever but it could be a good way of let's just say you want to create a new and you a new habit and you want to be more conscious of the things you do yeah. let's say if you're always on your phone in the living room i reckon putting a big picture up or like a poster of like somebody just staring at you maybe even with an aggressive stare yeah, and yeah. you could just be like oh shit like it's <laughs> like I'm, I'm sure obviously once again you become habitualized to it being there and eventually you'll just ignore it but yeah. i think if you if you or if you just change the placements every couple of days you'll i think it will sort of uh, snap you back into sort of a more self-conscious um feeling while you're in the room a hundred percent but yeah it's interesting because like think about how we we've talked about this on podcast before but um in terms of how feeling like you're being watched right makes you be self-conscious yeah. and, and hold your um behavior accountable but also being shown your behavior so i'm thinking like you know when you go into like a tesco's and they literally now have a oh, yes. camera that looks at you just, and just shows, this, yeah right like if that's, they that's had amazing just a camera yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's, it's no, crazy. It's so um, it's so true because there was so many there were studies before about like um, you know, like mirrors. Yeah, if you have a mirror, yeah, you're, yeah. you're less likely to, and that's technically what it is. It's yeah. not it's not a mirror per se, but it's literally mirroring back to you your image of like yourself at the self checkout. So if yeah. you start trying to like steal shit, it's like you have to literally look at yourself and be like, I am stealing something. Yeah, if that makes sense. I'm probably sure they don't even monitor it. It's just there to I, like, yeah, and, exactly. and it will work with most people because it just be like, oh, well, like. I can see myself. I'm not. A, I'm not a, like a, a thief, even if they, even if they were in the past. But they're being shown their own behavior. Yeah, it's funny, it's, isn't it? It's like because how many people say, are really going to monitor that? Like, yeah, retrospectively, you know, like yeah, yeah. yeah. It's also it reminds me as well with like a lot of big films. You know, where people have like massive character flaws, and mm. half the way they discover their character flaws um, is they see themselves. Yeah. Like, you know, like in Click, you know, Adam Sandler, he kind of lives through his life. Uh, yeah, and he, sees yeah, yeah, the, yeah. he sees the effect he's had his own family. He kind of like realizes like the way he was being like a dick or whatever. And yeah, it's yeah, the same yeah. for like Scrooge, isn't it? Like he goes, goes future, present, past or whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, discovers is, it's kind of like that to a degree. It's like, you can only discover yourself by seeing yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting just to have like, um, somebody like a film crew following around. I mean, obviously this is just way too expensive. You'd never be able to do it. Yeah, but somebody yeah. just follows you around like, 
like a week and just see yeah. the way you act. You'd be like, oh, Jesus Christ. That would actually that. be so ideal, wouldn't it? Yeah. 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 Ideal. Maybe we should start a little business, you know, where we That's just it. follow people. You want to change your behavior? Yeah, we'll follow you. We're going to we're gonna follow you around with GoPro. Well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> funny. Um, yeah, so that's but, I mean, good, honest, f- funny enough, off the off the side of that, the ha- half the reason for member, I think it was, I want to say, is it Atomic Habits? There was there was one of the books we did where they talked a lot about doing, a, I think it was like a habit journal, like a thing you do daily. And yeah, 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 down yeah, yeah. Because um, pointing and calling, camera, not something. Yeah, but like every time you do something, you like write it down. I went on my phone, did this, yeah. did this, and then eventually you got like a diary of what you did for like five days. You're like, oh wow, I spent a lot of time doing this, this, and this. Yeah. and then at least you become consciously aware. It's a bit like, you know, we try to start doing this like daily review habit ourselves where it's, you know, you sit down every day and you try and like reflect on what you did. And I find that's quite a good way of being more conscious with, you know, your day-to-day habits and actions because you're constantly, you know, giving attention to it. Whereas before you just, you know, you don't give it any attention. You just move from day to day, repeating the same thing. Yeah, no, exactly. But yeah. Um, Okay, so moving on. So then... When assessing people's ability to achieve goals, both personality differences and character didn't seem to matter. Instead, it was mostly explained by their habits. And this kind of ties in what, with what we were saying before in terms of, you know, your um, your aspirations and goals and those things. It's like they don't really make that much difference. Um, they make a big difference in starting a habit, but not persisting at it. Yeah. Um, the influence of others keeps people flexible as other people introduce variability into routines. For example, they get sick, get promoted and go on vacation. And I've oh got like living with flatmates. I notice this so much because they, they're not really prone to doing habits and productivity yeah. and stuff like that. But like, for instance, I'm trying to cut down on sugar and then Doug will get her, buy me a Coke. And then I feel obliged to drink the Coke, even though I'm going against my habit of like not trying to eat much sugar for the day. Um, yeah. And it's, it's once again, it's like, you can't plan for that. It's the variability that people bring into your lives, but that kind yeah, of yeah. can throw your routine off. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's, that's where, you know, having a repeated or I don't know, having done the habit enough to, to have it so it's automatic in certain contexts i don't know it's i, I quite like the idea of having variability like obviously life would be pretty i think it can be good it, but, yeah absolutely but yeah it, it definitely is not conducive to creating you know good habits like you're saying like you, you you've let's just say you've done some of the you know the tactics from some of the other books like designing your environments there's no sugar so you just yeah. don't have any snacks or whatever in your fridge and then somebody turns up with a you know sweets or whatever or you know a yeah. coke in your case is and we all know if it's a bottle coke as well it's it has to be I drank know. so it just has to it, it's yeah it's that and then the also best. like people obviously bring in um an element of like how you interact with them right like whether it's going to be rude because once again your reputation's on the line like do yeah. i just turn it down it, flat but then it's it's funny yeah. isn't it? it becomes a different question so beforehand it was like uh you know i'm not eating the, the whole sugar becomes a part of your diet. Like I don't want to ruin my diet, but then yeah. it becomes a question of, I don't want to ruin our friendship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it yeah, it right. changes yeah, meaning. Funny. Um, not that it would ruin your friendship. I mean, it's pretty, but you, I get what you mean. It's like, would it, would it come across as distasteful? Would it come across as rude? Would it, you know, it's a different question entirely. It's not about yeah. the habit anymore. It's about, am I going to upset somebody? Um, but yeah. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. So, uh, 
says here that 43% of the time our actions are habitual. And this, this figure constantly changes. I've seen it in multiple yeah. different studies where it can be higher, it can be lower. I guess it kind of depends on the individual. I, I think that just the takeaway should just be just most, like a lot of your actions are habitual. Yeah. Like, yeah, if you're exactly. just going to take one thing away, it's like maybe the majority, I would say the majority, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say at least half percent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, half percent, half, <laughs> yeah. half the actions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so habits can be almost anything as long as it is repeated the same way each time. This emphasizes the fact that a habit is about how you perform an action, not what an action is. And I thought that was quite interesting as in because a lot of people, uh, for an example, will be about cannabis. The actual chemical isn't addictive, right? But mm. doing the same behavior over and over again be- it creates a behavioral kind of addiction or a behavioral yeah. habit. And I uh, I remember falling into this trap where, you know, if you have a bad day, you smoke a joint. If you have a yeah, good yeah. day, you smoke a joint. And then you yeah. just constantly, you've created that habitual like need. For and I, I do think there is a level where, you know, you say it's not addicting, but there is a reward in play in terms of you mm. reward yourself by changing your state to a more pleasurable state, let's just say. Yeah. Like we could say it like that. And then obviously, once again, it, it's, a, it's a more pleasurable state and it has a context which you just, you want to repeat it again and again, right? You're like, you're feeling bad and then the default is is that it's easy to see how th- it's funny actually i would love i think one thing we probably could do at some point as well is try and go into like a bunch of books on like addiction because i'm convinced it's people have got it the wrong way around like like uh, in my head most things can become like become addictive but anything can be addictive in the sense that yeah, anything can become habitualized and therefore yeah. is technically addictive because you're compelled to do it by habit um without thinking um, yeah especially yeah, especially uh, if it's like something where the the um the detriment is like a long way away like there's like you know doing that action is not going to cause you immediate harm but maybe if you do it for like for ages it is similar yeah. to like smoking and stuff you know yeah and i think um, a, an issue with a lot of these kind of like addictions that like substance use addictions yeah. is that they're also embedded in behavioral addictions or behavioral yeah. habits and, right and, so and, so, it's like, and social habits you know yeah. like i mean alcohol for example yeah you know you a lot of times you can't even see people without drinking alcohol and therefore it's like wow it's it's so embedded into yeah. even like social routines it's not even just a behavioral routine it's like yeah it's, i find that so much with not trying to drink that like mm. i'm limited in the social kind of interactions i can have because mm. you know if i'm doing an activity it's fine right like and also because be drinking, but. another another thing as well is if you don't drink, you then remind the people who are drinking that you're you know you're trying to be better, and then it almost throws them off a little bit because like yeah, I yeah. could be like you. It's that yeah. it's like you stand out as a reminder of what they could be. It's kind of like why yeah. the envy people envy people who achieve things. It's like yeah. you remind me of the things I could be, but I'm not because I haven't made the tough decision. Yeah, um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so. The introspection illusion. So this is when we think that we perform an action because of our thoughts, feelings or intentions rather than just out of habit. This leads to cognitive bias and an overestimation of the extent to which our actions depend on our internal states. We are immersed in our own sensations, emotions and thoughts. These compelling internal experiences drown out our ability to recognize other possible influences on our behavior, especially non-conscious influences such as our own habits. When choosing a reason for our behavior, we tend to ignore or discount non-conscious influences, drives, and instead choose a conscious reason that we can explain away and use to frame ourselves in the best light. The issue with this is that it distorts how much we think of our, 
we think our salient habitual self contributes to our actions. And in turn, we will never learn how to properly exploit this hidden resource. Um, and I think we kind of touched on this in a bunch of the books, but essentially, yeah, we just overestimate, you know, our conscious reasons for th doing things and not, you know, the yeah. automatic behavior, that routine that we've been engaging in for God knows how many months, years, well, whatever. Well, I think it's, yeah, it's definitely a level of, um, because the voice always gives us the answer. We then believe the voice is the thing that controls everything, mm. you know, because you, whenever you like you introspect, you're like, why did I do that? Because there's always a ready-made an answer. You always think, Oh, it must be true. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not the fact that it could be these other things as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess, yeah, we, we've kind of fallen. It's almost like what's the, it's just, too much self-trust in our own answers almost, you know? Yeah. We, we believe the voice too much. Um, so to speak, but I think it's quite interesting because obviously from day to day, of course you would fall for that trap because, you know, in your head, you can decide to do things like, Oh, maybe today I decide I'm going to have a sandwich. And you think, Oh, look at me. I'm in control of my own destiny because I decided to have a sandwich, but then you yeah, forget yeah. that like, the rest of the activities you do during that day, you, you have little control over most of the time. Like, you know, you probably spend more time doing your scrolling on your phone than making actual executive decisions. So therefore, you know, who's really in control. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's quite frightening, really. Yeah, no, it is. It is. Um, and it's, once again, it's like what we were just saying, that 50% of your actions a day, roughly, you know, habits. So you can't be in control all the time. Even if you think that you are, it's it, like a lot of the time. It would require too much effort, wouldn't it? Like we said, it's it, it takes a lot of effort to stop the sort of your stop yourself acting in a specific way as well, right? Because in my head, the habitual brain is sort of like always, you know, chugging along um, and it takes your prefrontal to like stop, put the halt on be like hang on a second let's do something different here yeah. to what we're currently doing and obviously in my head that would take energy to stop to stop something that's already in process if that makes sense yeah absolutely absolutely okay um, all right so, so on to the next section yes introducing your second self so the cognitive revolution refers to a shift in interest within the field of psychology it was discovered that our brains engage in top-down executive control meaning our behavior isn't simply a response to bottom-up associations between stimuli, responses, and rewards, but is also directed by our attitudes and beliefs. This, however, is an issue as habits were overlooked. Most of the interest was directed at cognitive control and not the more simple mechanisms responsible for behavior. So this is kind of what we're just talking about. Mm. Um, then habits reemerge in the cognitive revolution under an old Jamesian label, newly rehabilitated automaticity. People tend to start habits with rewards in mind, engaging in executive control to create intentions about what to do that snag that reward. However, over time, our reasons for acting became unimportant for habits and they became relatively insensitive to rewards. Goals and rewards, it seems, are critical for starting to do something repeatedly. They will lead us to form many beneficial habits in the first place. Um, and this is, yeah, I mean, this yeah. links up with, you know, all the stuff we were talking about with atomic habits and, you know, making sure that there's a clear reward to, but it was even in, um, the power of habit as well, wasn't it? Yeah. The reward stage, you know, is, is important originally for these rewards, but then over time you become desensitized to it. I mean, it kind of, it does make sense. I mean, you even have that with everything in life. You, if you keep getting the same thing, the same reward, eventually you get bored, right? It's why yeah. we constantly need variation and stuff. So no, exactly um so where is it okay there definition of a habit a mental association between a context cue and a response that develops as we repeat an action in that context for a reward 
This is evident in a study that looked at how runners at different levels responded to uh, associated words such as running, track, or forest, and found that frequent runners recognized the words quicker than e- infrequent runners. Uh, yeah. I think that was quite an interesting point there. Yeah. Where, like, when you become, like, habitualized to a specific, um, you know, activity, let's just say, you become more sensitized. Is it sensitized? Yes, it is. You, you pick up on these words quicker than other people and you have these, co- like, these uh, associations with these words. Yeah. Like, yes, you, you could say you get... the same with us. I was going to say stuff like, if you mentioned words like dumbbells, barbells, yeah. if you're not into the gym, you're not going to understand it. But to me, I have associations with, I, I almost think pleasurably about them. Whereas most, exactly. some people would just think of that and go like, Jesus Christ, like, why would you, like, gym? Ugh. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah and so that can kind of act as triggers right yeah because it's like we have that association with those words and there's an association between those words and the habit that we do which is going to the gym um which i just thought was particularly interesting that the study uh yeah so yeah I'll, I'll quickly go back just to make the 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 point there so it was a definition of a habit is a mental association between a context cue and a response that develops as we repeat an action in a context for a reward so that's why that links there it's this idea that you know we're building associations around a specific activity and then these acti- and then in my head the associations go obviously broader as you sort of get more into the activity and learn more about like the specific elements yeah. of an activity. I mean, it obviously depends what it is, right? Like of course. I mean, with, with like a cold shower, for example, there's less, you know, terminology, maybe you could say yeah, yeah, that yeah. would make it have, have more associations, but obviously with sort of fitness stuff, um, you know, running, etc., there is lots of words that can, you know, be associated. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I quite like, uh, there was always something that um, in atomic habits that I quite liked. It was like your, your environment is essentially like you know what you, what relationships you have with your environment, right? Those are the that's the context. Those are the cues. Those are the triggers. Um, and over time, if you perf- if you perform a habit over time, uh, like consistently, those relationships get stronger. And like you said, the breadth also increases, right? The yeah. amount of associations increase. Um, uh, yeah, I just thought that was quite interesting. It's interesting. I was just because I was reading a book yesterday on creativity, and it's funny how the more you associate these words with one specific context, you lose the context of them for another, like in other areas. Yeah. If that, if that makes any sense to you, like over time, if you learn the terminology for I don't know barbells, dumbbells, you can only see them in one specific context and not another, even though they yeah, can yeah. be used for something else. If that makes sense, that's a good um, point. I, I just only only because I was thinking of um, there was an example in the book where he's talking about like a stick as a tool, a stick as like an ax, like as a weapon. Yeah, yeah. Like it's this idea of like changing the meaning of it, depending. And I was just thinking the more you do a specific activity, you're going to be constrained to seeing the specific things in one, one way when they could be more than one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just weird. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Side note I had. Um, <laughs> so yeah, sorry. A habit that turns the world around you. Uh, so what's this? Sorry. A habit turns the world around you, your context into a trigger to act. An interesting point about habits is that the reward that first motivated the development of a habit doesn't need to remain relevant for the habit to be performed, meaning that we don't have to update our rewards as our identities and values naturally change over time. It's enough that once upon a time you were rewarded for an action that became a habit. Each time we act in the same way, the memory trace incrementally strengthens until it becomes securely stored in the procedural memory. Procedural coding protects information from change, allowing us not uh, not how to us to not forget how to ride a bike regardless of how well we learn um to surf i think that's a that's a good point about procedural memory 
Yeah, I thought I thought it was quite interesting. Like, first of all, the the first point that you mentioned in terms of, you know, we can do a habit because we want a certain reward, and so you know we do that over time, and then let's say that reward it isn't really valuable to us anymore, but it doesn't have to change for our habit to stay in place. So our mm-hmm. identities and our values can change, and the reward can stay the same. It doesn't really make a difference. Um, it will still help us to do that. Uh, that that habit which i thought was interesting and then on the second point yeah the the procedural memory is quite interesting because it's kind of like it's locked in yeah. you know um and if you edit any of that well you know that it's going to um disrupt the habit uh because it's in like yeah for sure order. it's it's funny isn't it it's it's a way i liken it to is let's just say you go to your friend's house and you want to grab a glass of water it becomes infinitely harder because you didn't know where the glasses are and it yeah. sounds it sounds yeah, really yeah. stupid but there is that feeling you get right where i find the reason why i find being at home so comforting is i know where everything is so like yeah. if i want to do something i don't feel constrained i'm like if i want to cook i can cook if i want to do this i can do this if i want if i like if i feel the need to do something i can do it i can express myself yeah and you go to a friend's house and it sounds really weird but like let's just say you really want to dr- have do something you really want to eat you want to do something or rather you have to then ask them how to do yeah, it you yeah, don't yeah. Know where the things belong and there is something that we probably all don't talk about but there is some feeling that you get when it's just like oh i feel a tiny bit trapped yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not necessarily like i might be tortured yeah. but there is a level of like oh, I'm not even going to act this. Even though I want to drink, I'm not going to drink because I don't have the procedural memory of your kitchen to know where the things <laughs> are to do the thing I want to do. Yeah. Um, but it definitely happens because I feel that sometimes. I'm like, oh, wow, I just I want to go get something right now, but I can't because yeah. I just don't know where this stuff exists. And to be fair, don't get me wrong, it's not fucking loads of effort to go start trying all the cupboards or whatever. But No, of course. It, but it just feels weird, right? When friction. You're like, and it just, yeah, it's, it feels like effort, right? But that's... Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, no, there, there's constraint there. There's, because there's not enough freedom to act as you normally do. I don't, like, I'm talking about like a minor thing here, but it's just interesting because if you if you become sensitive to your own feelings, you do realize that that's actually how you feel to a degree. When yeah. you're there, you're like, oh, there's actually a barrier to doing this. I'm thirsty right now, but I still can't do it. Or I usually drink coffees in the morning, but because I'm here, I can't because I don't know where the stuff is or whatever, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and that is linked to, in my head, procedural memory because technically it is still a procedure. It's like, this yeah. is where it belongs. I go here, I pick it up and um yeah yeah no it is it, like I, i'd like to read up more about the actual procedural memory because i remember hearing a lot about it on um a podcast with andrew human and he kind of went into detail and how there's a thing called like chunking and how ah, um, yes, yeah. you can like think of a habit as like a chunk and there's going to be a dope and of time right yeah and you can increase that chunk so if you want to, I think he was talking about pairing habits. So if you want to do something just before, just after, and you've already got a habit in place and that already gives you a dopamine um, you know, spike, then you want to try and increase that time so that that chunk is also incorporates this other habit that you want to do so that then yeah. that kind of dopamine spike can translate over to that, you know, it can motivate you to do the other habit as well. And then over time that becomes one big chunk. Um, I thought that was just quite interesting. And I think that's got something to do with procedural memory. Yeah. yeah. Too bad. We, we can talk at some point. We can probably even do podcast reviews. At some point. Yeah. <laughs> we, his stuff is so, there's so much to, like in depth. Yeah, into to his podcast. But yeah. Um, okay. So moving on. So what about knowledge? 
So the benefit of procedural memory is that it protects mature habit from abstract knowledge and judgment, meaning it is less likely to be influenced by what we know. When embarking on new actions, the brain's associative loop comprised of the basal ganglia, chordate nucleus, midbrain and prefrontal cortex light up um, with heightened activity. This area is associated with self-control, planning and abstract thought. So kind of what we were talking about with the executive control. Um, As these actions are repeated routinely, neural activation increases in the brain's sensory motor loop comprised of the putamen and basal ganglia, sensory motor courses and parts of midbrain. Uh, so that kind of is essentially saying that, you know, over time, as we embed this, uh, <clears throat> as we embed this uh, habit, um, it becomes a bit more automated. It's, it's part of the motor cortex now. So, you know, we can almost do that kind of automatically and we don't have to think about it as much. So it's gone from that like area in the brain that's responsible for like deliberate thinking. Well, yeah, like thinking. So it's just gone from abstractness to like actual physical, literally phys- physical mapping, right? So like yeah. before it was an idea and now it's been mapped out into an actual behavior. Yeah, which is essentially like, I guess, in a weird way, our superpower as humans, like the ability to take something abstract and to try and map it out physically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Neural studies on habits uh, can get muddled because our goal-directed and habit neural systems are interconnected and they often work together. And I thought that was just an important point to put in there because kind of what I was saying with how, you know, uh, behavioral approaches to habits can make habits seem quite simplified or a lot of the literature on it can get a bit i don't know confusing because there are these two systems at play and they sometimes overlap so it's quite difficult to determine whether something is still kind of being goal directed or whether something is habitual um and that's why it can be quite difficult to test for habits and i was looking at trying to do my dissertation on habits but then it's like well how do you determine when something is a habit you know how how do i determine whether you know, it's not still being motivated now and then by goal, by goal direction, goal orientation. Um, I, w- I guess I wouldn't even know. Would you, would you have to then just verify that they've done the task maybe every day for like six months and then just try and figure out the position of the brain it is? But then I guess... Oh, like maybe you'd also have to like, realistically, you'd have to do this in kind of EEG or fMRI studies yeah. to actually map it on the brain. But, the, you know... I'm only a little, you know, uni student. I can't do all of that. Um, yeah. So then uh, Parkinson's attacks the motor um, motor control system in the basal ganglia, especially the putamen, meaning the ability to learn new habits and activate old ones is impaired. And the reason I, um, I included this point was because there was a study that was looking at people with Parkinson's, so older people with Parkinson's and older people with amnesia. And they both are kind of like, two sides of the coin so essentially parkinson's attacks your basal ganglia which kind of holds all of our habits and allows us to automate behavior um but it doesn't affect our memory and then they were looking at people with amnesia whose memory was affected but their putamen was still intact and they got them to do a kind of uh behavior and essentially the people with parkinson's couldn't perform very well but they knew what they were doing and the people with amnesia could perform really well because their basal ganglia was intact but they couldn't remember what they were doing Um, and it was just an interesting like a really interesting study of just two completely opposite um uh disorders like you said Uh, two sides of the same coin Yeah, yeah 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 
Um, and it just highlights the importance of the basal ganglia. Yeah. Um, a key aspect of why habits are crucial for long-term behavioral change is that they save brain power. We are essentially on autopilot most of the time, unless there's a good enough reason to intervene with conscious thoughts. When, um, when habit, when a habit and decision, when our habits and decisions align, uh, you don't even recognize the habit. However, when there is conflict, then executive control is exerted over the habit itself. Example, driving is a habit. However, when something swerves in front of us, we engage our executive control to respond accordingly. Yeah. I mean, there is a level where it's like, you know, the the classic, what's it called? Like orienting reflex that Peterson, I think, put in his mm-hmm. maps of meaning book, whereas like when something that you don't envisage or you haven't prepared for mentally comes into play, you automatically become more conscious like yeah because it surprises you you're just like oh hang on a second what is this um exactly it's that yeah. reward prediction error right it's mm-hmm. like we're used to doing the same thing over and over again and then suddenly some piece of new novel stimuli is in front of us and our brain is yeah. going to be like fuck it i need to deal with that and then also is this going to be happening more often right like is this part it's- of the actual process or is this just something that i need to deal with on the the yeah yeah actually i was just thinking about this weirdly it's kind of why you know if somebody you know kind of says something about you like they are like did you know you were doing this you'd be like whoa hang on a second it's, it's why that affects you a little bit because you realize oh shit like i saw myself as this and this person's just come in with a comment that's like throw me off a little bit yeah yeah, like, yeah 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 not what yeah. i thought which actually can it's why i think maybe a social good positive social influences are a good idea like yeah. if, if people can find a way to phrase things in a way that you don't take offense, but, but immediately reflect, I feel like this is what the best coaches do, right? They kind of like make you look at yourself in a way that's like not judgmental, but it's like, have you could like, have you thought that maybe what you just did is a bit rude and they'd be like, Oh, hang on a second. Maybe, yeah. maybe it is. And that allows you to like, then come to your own conclusions. But it's like that classic, you just said you, you weren't predicting that that person was going to say something like that. And it's made you realize, okay, maybe I should, you know, use my conscious thought now oh shit like is this true is it like could it be true yeah um and then it allows you to change your behavior right which is why absolutely social, social feedback could be a good idea in some context I, I think that point on coaches is really interesting actually because that's essentially what it is right it's like holding a mirror up to you and being like this is what you do you may not be aware of this and like you know any kind of sports athlete that's exactly what they do they film themselves right yeah. they see how they relate um or how they perform an action um and then tweak the tiniest little things you know um but mm-hmm. it's required because maybe you just you're not thinking about that when you're performing the actual action um yeah but yeah okay so on to the next one so yeah so we're on to what about self-control so delay of gratification is a fundamental social cognitive skill linked inversely to general impulsivity and directly to conscientiousness and executive control. Self-restraint and distraction are ineffective strategies for avoiding temptations, whereas the best is stimulus control. So I think what what he's, what they're saying there, what she's saying there, sorry, is stimulus control is like changing our environment, right? To, yeah. to control the, like the prompts that you get. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, okay. So yeah, most people who score high in self-control don't report resisting desires. This is because they have acquired a habit of resisting the stimulus. So they no longer need to engage executive control. Um, the good effects that we popular ascribe to self-control are, it seems, more accurately, accurately captured by situational control. So this is similar to what we just, the quote above it, which is about stimulus control. So it's like, you know, is it, 
you don't even have to fight temptation if the temptation doesn't exist. Exactly. I.e., if you don't have, let's just say somebody, you've got like a sweet tooth, you hide the sugar from view, you hide it. In fact, you don't even have any in your fridge. You're not going to have to overcome temptation because temptation yeah. isn't there. The only time you probably will have to is when you go to the supermarket. And then another thing you can do is just not walk down the sugar aisle, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there must be like, it would be, yeah. I'm sure if they did a study, the people who eat the most sugar probably spend most of the time in the fucking you know sugar aisle of the supermarket. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, it literally yeah. is as simple as that. Like, if, if if you're walking past it, you're way more likely. Like, it's funny you walk in a supermarket. Like, I'm the one I I'm a guilty pleasure at the moment is like popcorn all the time. If yeah. I see popcorn, I'm like, I immediately see it and I go, "Could I eat some popcorn?" Yeah, okay. You you, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Into my head, it didn't even yeah. contemplate it until I saw it. Yeah. It's the same like you know um, cokes as well. Like for example, in the in the one below, there's bottled ones in like a six pack. Oh no! I don't even think about. it. I look at it. I go, yeah, hmm, I could. I, yeah. I have. I told myself I'm actually not giving in yet because it's also really expensive to buy the bottled yeah. one. But okay, yeah. it's still the it's still the question. Where I look at it and go like beforehand, it wasn't even a question. Like why am I in the supermarket? It's not to buy a coke, but I see it. Yeah. And I'm like oh, okay, and that and that's but it the point triggers that. Like, yes, it triggers exactly. that association, doesn't it? Um, yeah that's the point here so it's like you know you see something and it stimulates you like so yeah. it's more about controlling the stimuluses than it is actually resisting the stimuluses and then for me the only way you can resist the stimuluses is if you have a goal which you have maybe a bit like the fitness stuff if you have it where it's like you're really chasing a goal and you feel motivated yeah. then this stuff doesn't fit in and therefore you're going to be better at resisting it because you have a reason for why to resist yeah, yeah. that makes sense yeah, yeah um i think you need a reason why because, like, yeah. for example, if I wasn't into, like, if I wasn't doing the gym, if I wasn't doing anything related to health and I didn't really care, you see a Coke and the, the question isn't why, it's just why not? You know, you yeah. see it and you're like, why why, why shouldn't I buy Coke? Because I'm, I'm here about having pleasure. I don't care about the gym. I don't care about my health or whatever. Um, so you need yeah, in my head exactly. for the st- resistance. You need, like, a reason for, like, for not engaging. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting you say that because I've – I was watching some stuff on, I think it was Arnold Schwarzenegger and, um, and he was like, he kept hammering home the point that like, you just need to have that goal. So such, have such a clear goal, clarity of the goal, right? It's got to be so clear. And so that, you know, where actions don't fit in, right? So you don't drink a Coke because you know how sugar doesn't fit into that goal. Right. And yeah. the more aware you are and the more of an understanding. And that's why we've talked about this before. Like you read up on the bad aspects of things. Yes. Yeah. Right? To make it that, seem yeah. more negative. Right. And, and I think that's it is like, you know, if you can really understand, if you want to, if you have a guilty pleasure of having a Coke now and then you want to yeah. be this kind of really healthy person and maybe read up about how bad that Coke is for that specific goal right it's like yeah. the impact of that on this um and there's probably studies like going on yeah. about it um but that I mean, kind of yeah. really makes it clear so you have a new association to that bad yes. habit yeah. and so then you're less likely to engage in it because you've got that overall goal that really is motivating you no 100 percent. Um, if anybody for for coke specific ones and sugar if anybody's interested in that read the glucose revolution because that will change your perception of sugar yeah. um I'm, and I'm it definitely it definitely impacted my um i mean i wasn't really a massive sweet tooth person anyway but i kind of you know what like for example when you're into into the gym and you're like bulky or whatever you're kind of like yeah, oh, yeah. i can eat whatever i'll eat sugar but yeah, actually yeah. when you look into it and oh, I, i'm gonna butcher it but i think it's either fructose 
or one of the I, one of the molecules of sugar, yeah. which basically you can't even metabolize it. it. Like it immediately gets stored as fat. So it, literally by drinking that, you are you're you're putting on more fat than actually eating fat because sometimes when you eat fat, it actually gets metabolized immediately. And I was just like, yeah. oh my Jesus, um, this is pretty. It's like it's kind of game changing a little bit, and it's stuff yeah, it you is. really know yeah. and. And you realize that like all of these sweet products as well don't even just have like normal glucose. They have like, you know, the sucrose, the fructose, the stuff which is basically indigestible or slash worse for you because it's like a more dense version of, of glucose. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty eye opening. And it, and like you said, it's one of these things where you kind of, you learn the negatives and then you kind of like, you then have reasons not to, not to have it. Right. You look well, it, at it changes your relationship sudden, to it. Yeah, exactly. It changes the meaning of it for sure. And to be honest, don't get me wrong. It's not like I don't not have sugar. Yeah, yeah. What I do now do is I, I look forward to it because I have it on a weekend and I, I, I will allow myself to like on a weekend, let's just say I'm in the supermarket. I see a Coke. I'm like, I've worked hard this week. I've done my, you know, I've done the things I said I'm going to do in terms of like gym and stuff. Yeah. You know, I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a Coke. I'm going to have whatever. Um, yeah, you know, I feel like sometimes you have to allow yourself these like little treats, but it's just remembering like ninety percent of the time that they're not available because you're you're trying to achieve something. And I do think, like you just said, with a goal, a clear goal, or clear a clear direction, you then understand where stuff does or doesn't fit in. Yeah, and therefore it makes it easier. Yeah, it makes it easier. Like I go to a supermarket and it's not even a question until yeah. a weekend where it might be a question. Because yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even there to like, I'm not like, do you know what I mean? It's not even yeah, like, yeah. part of the frame. Um, which is, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Cause like, cause there is an argument for as well that the lot of society doesn't really have any goals and stuff. And it, you can see it just by their own, like their behaviors, so to speak, yeah. cause their behaviors are just all over the place. Yeah. Like they say they want to do something, but they don't want it bad enough. Cause if they did, they wouldn't do the behaviors, which don't add to the goal. Right. So, yeah, 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 no, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's really important to do that. I actually need to do that. I need to do that more, actually, to just yeah, read goal setting. Do you mean? Well, just, just to like have more of a clear goal first yeah. of all, ha- add more clarity to it, but then also see how habits that I engage in now and then, like bad habits, how that impacts that goal. You know? Yeah, yeah, um, I think so. I, yeah, I, and I, I remember. Not, yeah, I was just gonna say. I remember like reading what was it? Um, how to win friends and influence people, and I yeah. think it was in like first few pages and it was like saying if you want to get through to someone you relate their behavior to their goal right so if someone wants if someone is smoking and you want them to stop smoking and then it's like well what do you want to be oh you want to be a basketball player well basketball players don't smoke because it impacts their lung capacity and um, so they can't you know yeah that's um, what in my head smart coaches do as well you know people people you respect they just make you go like what is it you actually want and then you tell them and then you they go how does what you're doing now lead to what you want? And then you go, oh shit, you're right, it doesn't. And they go like, how are you going to fix it? And then you go, okay, I'm going to fix it this way. That's kind of like all coaching is to a degree, like in like a nutshell. It's it's like a nicer way of trying to get you to like coerce yourself into deciding what you want and then actually, you know, evaluating yourself from a perspective of is doing what I'm currently going to do get me there? If yep. not, how can I change? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sorry, we're, we're going to have to, we're, we're doing... I thought this would be like a, a shorter one, but it's just like we're just we're doing our usual. We're you know, we've got so much um, to add to it. Yeah, um, exactly. Okay, well then uh, the next bit. So, what is it? Context. Yes, context. So, uh, Lewin's famous equation: behavior is a function of the person and the context slash environment. To get technical, we could 
notate it at like this it doesn't really matter basically it's just an equation um <laughs> <laughs> f brackets p slash e yeah or p dash e yeah um i don't know why i included that it's a bit too technical ah, and then nah, it's, not, it's not it's um the way you learn this in business as well it's like organization yeah. organizational like cult like uh behavioral studies yeah um oh, that's interesting lewins lewins is it behavior is it force field model i can't remember anyway but well, yeah i don't know um whether an external force is driving or restraining, imposing friction or removing it depends on the behavior and forces uh, and forces in question. The simplest contextual influence is proximity as it determines the external forces to which we are exposed to and therefore engage with. So exactly what we were talking about just before, just basically, you know, designing your own environment, designing your own context. Um we tend to underestimate the influence of the context and overestimate the influence of our own internal decision-making. And that refers to the introspective illusion that we were talking about just before. Um, This explains why our go-to approach is willpower and motivation and why we also perceive others success as down to their willpower and motivation. When a lot of the time it's, you know, them designing their environment and sticking and persisting with a habit. Um, a belief in free will has many advantages. It gives us confidence that we can meet life's challenges, but it also leads us to overlook the powerful influence of the physical and social world we inhabit. I just, I quite like that um, quote. I just thought it was quite interesting that there are like kind of pros, <laughs> pros and cons to um, believing in free will. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm just going to add a bit on the, uh, the context. So it is mm. Lewin's force field model. I, I quite, I, I love this model, and there's a, there's a book. What's it called? Like turning kale into something. Anyway, there's a guy who creates products, and he talks a lot about this idea of having you know um, driving forces and also restraining forces. And yeah. what he actually talks about a lot is how like I, weirdly enough, our culture focuses so much on the driving forces, like you said, so stuff like the motivation and the goals, rather than the restraining forces. Yeah. And he actually. Uh, like advocates for trying to like focusing on removing restraining forces so a bit like before this podcast we had a talk we were talking about like um let's say one of your goals is fitness and going to the gym a massive restraining force would be the choice of gym and knowing what exercises to do yeah and therefore the highest leverage activities you could take apart from obviously deciding to go to the gym in the first place would be removing any restraining orders yeah so um restraining restraining orders so wait restraining anyway removing the straight restraining forces so like there therefore maybe one of the best ways you can look at some of the habits as well is like i want to do this yeah what is stopping me from doing this and then writing a list of all the things you think believe and then overcoming them one by one right yeah um as as, a, as an additional thing you could be doing um, no, absolutely um it makes a lot of sense it really does it's like surely you want to make because motivation only gets you so far right in my head and then yeah. there's and then there's some things maybe motivation can't help you get over and yeah. therefore that's where you need to remove anything that's like like stopping you yeah um to make it as easy as possible it's like the classic you know i mean this is pretty much where the atomic habit stuff where it's like make it easy comes from it's yeah. removing removing obstacles removing obstacles. so it's yeah so it's like you know being in your gym kit already from the moment you wake up so you're ready yeah. to go yeah. um it's removing any sort of decisions you have to do so like implementation intentions like that's removing a decision because you've already implemented it into your calendar etc um and you're making it easier for your motive uh, for your motivational willpower to overcome something if it pops up 
right? Mm. Because you don't have to deal with all these other hurdles. You've already de dealt with those hurdles by um, removing the restraining forces. Um, yeah. But yeah. Okay, so on to the next part, repetition. So steps to habit formation. One, you arrange your context. Two, you recognize the restraining forces, funny enough we just said, the driving forces and the pitfalls of your introspection illusion. Three, then you need to repeat it. <laughs> so a large element of succeeding in habit formation is trusting that the system will work. Different behaviors require differing amounts of repetition to become automatic. We tend to learn simple behaviors faster than more complex ones. Actions with multiple components, like getting to the gym and working out, might be particularly difficult habits to pick up. Um, which, which kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if, yeah. if it's as simple as, you know, we all, I, I would like to say 99% of people love eating. And as a habit, we can, you know, first of all, we need to survive, but it's pretty obvious why it works. You put something in your mouth, it tastes good. Yeah. <laughs> you want to repeat it, right? <laughs> Whereas the gym, you know, it's put on your gym kit, decide where you're going, walk to the gym or drive to the gym, you know, decide what you're going to work out. But then you also have the factors such as maybe people are using your bloody the, the machines you want to use. Yeah. There's so many more steps to it that make it, less first of all less easy to do but also less rewarding in some sense yeah. i mean obviously it's very rewarding post in my head post gym but the actual doing of it isn't so rewarding as obviously so or even a cigarette like light up a cigarette smoke it feel good yeah like yeah. it's pretty pretty simple to understand how those could be you know um easier to become automatic than something that's yeah, a bit long bit more long-winded yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely um, absolutely um, but yeah, so by by establishing the forces that push you to repeat the habit in the same way each time, such as a, uh, bigger and louder cues, you can reduce the amount of time it takes to form a habit. Along with the challenges of adopting new behaviors, you still have to fight off the old ones. But after a while, conflict resolution starts to favor the new behavior. And that's kind of what we were talking as well before the podcast, which is, you know, as as you do it more and more, it actually becomes harder to not do it. So yeah, because, you, yeah. because you become, because you identify with the action and maybe it's linked to your goal, like we we're saying where you're integrated with your goal and habit, it then becomes painful to not do the habit, which is obviously to honest, the place you want to be where, you know, literally to not do something it hurts you because obviously you're then more likely to, to do it. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. Uh, and I, I think, I think it is interesting just this kind of, you know, that hurdle is that you are, you still have that old habit intact and you're fighting yeah. against that one as well as creating new ones. So na and naturally, you know, the beginning of it will always be a lot more difficult. Um, and then there'll be like a point at which, you know, the other one uh, surpasses the old one, the new ones passes the old one and it becomes a lot more easier and it starts to become in line with, you know, your, your goal, your, your, um, you know, the goal that you've given yourself. Um, not going I just I think it's interesting anymore. when when it when it when it changes from the the so you know how beforehand it was like you had to convince yourself or had to make the habit rewarding to continue it but then mm -hmm. it becomes like painful to not do it or painful yeah. to do the old habit that's when you know you kind of won that battle in my head yeah yeah, yeah, um, yeah absolutely absolutely but yeah um so then moving on so Along with the challenge of adopting new behaviors, you still have to fight off the old one. Oh, no, you just said that. Sorry. <laughs> um, there, are two uh, there are two main factors in play that help speed up the formation of habits. So these are processing speed. So with each repetition, the action takes less time and mental effort, which is it makes so much sense. Like realistically, every time we do something, our brain has to take in all the stimuli and kind of categorize it, organize it, and say, say whether it's you know a threat and the next time it does that it's a bit more familiar so it's not as um it's not as difficult 
So it's much faster at processing it. Um, and then the second one is streamlined decision making. So the more we repeat an action, the more likely we are to use it as default action and think less about the alternative options that may interfere. Um, and I thought that was interesting. I don't think I've come across that in uh, in other books. Yeah. decision making um yeah well it, it kind of makes sense doesn't it so like let's just say every time you go to the supermarket you've picked a specific thing you you pick over your coke like you pick a protein shake you're you know it becomes not a question of buying a pro uh, sorry buying a coke anymore every every time you go in your decision is always the default which is the protein shake let's just say it's i mean that's an example but there's in my head there's plenty of other um other things like that which would which people would do um and then yeah 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 okay yeah so if we consciously arrange our, our context so we can engage in streamlined decision making that is rooted in the best decision yeah i mean that's that's the same where if you just change your context to the default you know it's the easy choice like you know you beforehand you used to eat a chocolate bar now you eat bananas yeah, because you have loads of bananas available. You've streamlined the decision making. It's not even a question anymore. It's not like, am I having a banana or chocolate? It's just I'm having a banana. It's yeah. I guess that simple. Yeah. Um, and what have you got here? So re- repetition changes our experience and perceptions of an activity as it can make it seem easier. This means we don't have to consult our intentions as much as just keep acting. And I think, I mean, there's plenty of examples of that. Another one could be, you know, with the gym, the more you get into it, the more you understand the exercises, mm-hmm. the less hard it is, right? Like if I, if I was to decide I'm going to try a new workout regime with different workouts, I've, like different exercises, sorry, I've never done before is inherently harder than me doing the ones I already know exactly how to do. Um, yeah. And the same with, same with anything really, even running or whatever it's, if you already know how to do it, it's Yeah. It comes to you. It's the first kind of decision that comes to you, or the yeah. kind of, um, thought that comes to you. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I wonder if there is then, like you know, as you're transitioning away from an old habit to a new habit, you know, the number of alternatives, especially maybe if they're like balancing each other out, there are alternative options around. And then, as you start to go towards the other one, then it starts to streamline it a bit more. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I th- I think with the streamlining stuff, I don't know if it's too good to always be too streamlined in my head as well, because yeah, you with some habits you kind of want. I, in fact, it really depends what it bloody is, doesn't it? Because you don't want to um, unstreamline. Let's just say you're trying to take a cold shower every day. There's no real way. To, whereas, for example, stuff like let's say you want to be more active, to streamline to one specific activity is kind of inhibiting yourself if you enjoy lots of different sports. Yeah, I agree. So, there's some context where in my head where it makes sense to streamline and like even in the context of food let's just say it's probably not a good idea to default to just eating bananas because then you're not you're not eating other stuff that could be equally as good for you or yeah. if, like you know you want a bit of variation in your diet right so absolutely um, yeah absolutely um okay so uh on to reward uh, so context will smooth the way and repetition will jumpstart the engine. But if you're going, um, if you aren't getting even a minor reward for your initial effort along the way, you won't get that habit to start oper- um, operating on its own. And these are all kind of tying in with the behavior books now where it's, you know, context, uh, repeat and reward. Um, so unexpected rewards are particularly good at leading to a release of dopamine. This is known as reward prediction error. Um, and we kind of talked about that earlier on. So like, you know, when we were driving and then something swerved in front of us and we have to use our executive control to deal with it. Um, and our dopamine, it like spikes in that kind of situation. 
the bigger an unexpected reward, the more dopamine gets released along with other chemicals um, and the more efficient synapses in that pathway become in sending and receiving a signal. So it gets better at firing. What is it? Um, what's that famous thing? It's like neurons. Neurons that, that fire, fire together. Fire together, wire together. together. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Um, so dopamine also helps us learn from our mistakes. When we act in ways that don't get us the rewards we were expecting, dopamine neuron, um, neurons decrease activity, signaling to avoid that action in the future. Initially, dopamine acts as a means of signaling salience, so that's like importance of attention um, or something to pay attention to. Uh, however, as we continue to pursue a habit, dopamine's functions become a signal for the reward, thus invigorating us to pursue action. This means that dopamine sets a timescale to habit learning. And I think this is all very important, like when we try to understand habits is dopamine is fucking key. It's essentially like the way I kind of think about it is like a compass, right? It's like leading you towards, it's directing you towards something. And every time we veer off, it like spikes and it's like, oh, okay, we should be going more this way or going more that way. Yeah. Um, and I think it's quite important to like have an understanding of that when we are, you know, changing anything about habits or implementing new ones um, yeah yeah I, i'm i'm thinking is it do we because obviously dopamine is kind of the the chasing molecule as well the chasing your goals molecule mm -hmm. so technically by some i don't know how it works but some form of executive control we can actually control the release of dopamine because when we executively decide to pursue something and we obviously compare our progress to the pursuit of it we are thus changing the dopamine reward if that makes sense so for example somebody who's pursuing fitness they they will then have dopamine rewards for pursuing that goal which was being set by the executive control so if that makes sense to you so yeah, yeah what i'm yeah. trying to say is we kind of actually set to some degree our dopamine circuits up don't get me wrong i'm not i'm sure we don't like we don't massively get to set it but we can direct the circuits in my head because that would make sense right i mean obviously there's some things that release dopamine naturally right like taking a cold yeah. shower let's just say but there's other things in my head, which is like when I was saying earlier that now I find it painful maybe to not hit my habit that helps me get like more healthy, let's just say. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and in my head, that must have come from the executive decision to pursue this goal. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah. So therefore, there is a level of like feedback and your ability for you to control your dopamine circuit. Exactly. I think that the feedback's correct because I think, you know, like we were saying, you know, initially you start off with a goal directed habit. Right. So you have this goal and that's what's starting to make you do that action. And so that dopamine has to be a response to creating that goal. But then over time, it becomes linked with the reward. And then the reward becomes anticipation. And then anticipation, you do the reward. Right. Okay. Like you do the action. And so it's kind of like the, the function of dopamine almost changes as you develop that habit. It starts off in response to creating that goal like you just said like yeah let's go and do fitness or health i was i was um, gonna say i think i found it quite interesting what i was thinking about recently about especially about the fitness stuff i wonder if it's actually best within the first few months to be doing the stuff we're doing which is like tracking your weights because yeah. with stuff like fitness it takes so long to see progress to therefore have the dopamine kicks of progress i mean obviously you get a pump so maybe the pump's enough for people to be like oh wow like i got a pump yeah but in my head the ability to like track and see progress week on week whereas you're not going to visually see much difference for like maybe a month two months but the ability to day on day see some form of progress must be pretty motivating in comparison to like and i'm just, basically what I'm trying to say here is i'm wondering with some of the habits where it's harder to see immediate 
reward slash gains it's good to track things to be able to see immediate gains from yeah, the day yeah absolutely on, day on use if that makes sense yeah because yeah. then you you're literally seeing and giving yourself a reason to spike the dopamine because you see that the goal you've set you're you're getting there if that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and I, I like there's a difference between like an incentive and a reward i would say a reward and we'll literally touch on this in a, in a couple of minutes but is straight after the action or is part of the action, right? Um, uh, whereas, like, an incentive is like, oh, if I go to the gym four times a week for the next month, I get to buy myself a PS5 game, right? Yeah. They're, they're different. And the, the whole point of dopamine is that the dopamine spike occurs, you know, as a result of completing the action, and so it's more likely to be embedded. But to have that, it means that the reward has to be straight away because dopamine acts yeah. very quickly. Um, and yeah. yeah, so like, so these points literally add to that. So studies have found that dopamine promotes habit learning for less than a minute, meaning that rewards have to be experienced right after we do something to build habits associations, uh, that context response. Um, in memory given the reward has to occur so quickly the most effective reward tends to be intrinsic to a behavior or part of the action itself so i kind of put an example here like brushing your teeth that sensation that you get that like freshness um while you're doing it and that's what they do with a lot of these kinds of things it's it's funny because i have the i have the uh the the opposite to that i actually dislike the sensation because i always drink coffee or like water afterwards so you know you know when you have like the uh, okay. and you drink water yeah. it's like sears i don't yeah. know like, yeah, i genuinely yeah, yeah. don't like the feeling of uh like minty i don't know what it is it's too strong for me well I, anyway. it used to be too strong for me i had to go to the sensory kind of stuff yeah. um because it was just quite intense but but, but that's yeah. essentially why they you know you don't have to they don't need to do to put yeah. that those kind of chemicals in toothpaste they it don't was, need to I put tell you the, about chemicals. the fragrance of like cleaners you yeah put exactly. fragrance in cleaners to make it smell so like when you're cleaning stuff you immediately get that feedback the stuff's clean even yeah. though it might not be absolutely um, um and the same thing with like shampoos and stuff like that it's like we, it doesn't need to be frothy but it creates that sensation that physical sensation that we kind of like or we associate as because it's done that i have completed it right because it's like got all frothy and I put it all over myself, I'm now clean, right? That's the yeah. association that we create. Like you said, it may well, be wrong, but yeah. that's what it's, we it's, have. It's basically right? a visual association that you can see something's happened and therefore it's doing the job it claims it's doing and therefore you get a release of some form of dopamine because it's like I'm I'm manipulating the environment and it's working. Does that make sense? Because exactly. in my head, yeah, yeah. dopamine yeah. is a reward for like the manipulation of like doing things and then proving to yourself that the doing of the things is actually working in some form. it helps you like continue doing the things because it's taught you that doing those things allows you to do something valuable i don't know yeah yeah Um, and this is why like so uh, the point here so this is why you can make the process of performing a habit more enjoyable that like if you do that then you are likely to increase that dopamine reward response because if you enjoy doing the actual process then the process itself is the reward um Extrinsic rewards can also help uh, form good habits. However, these tend not to be built into a behavior. So a classic example of an extrinsic reward is like being paid for something. But this can cause an issue because it may drown out the intrinsic motivation. So extrinsic rewards is that they can sometimes undermine the other reasons that may contribute to the performance of an action. So, you know, you might have had some genuine um, intention and 
inspiration to do something and then someone starts paying you for it and then that kind of gets drowned out and then you're kind of only doing it for the money um so yeah they can sometimes uh cause issues there so for dopamine to do its work in forming habits there cannot be too long of a lag between action and reward it has to literally like i said before it has to be within minutes um dopamine responds most to uncertainty and reward prediction area which we touched on um so in other words we learn the most from unusual or unexpected rewards that are bigger than or different uh to what we are used to and that is something that i think you can harness um to improve your your uh your habits and i was thinking about this recently in terms of notion whether you could for specific habits have a range of kind of rewards okay and have a kind of like randomizing function so it like suddenly gives you a different reward than you're normally used to or something like that yeah but the problem i guess would be is you you would have to put plug in what the rewards are so yeah, you would actually know all the rewards. So it would be unexpected, but it'd be unexpected within a, a bounded amount. Obviously, yeah, 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 yeah. But I still get what you mean. It's still, but I'm sure there's something where it's still varied that would be exciting. Yeah, it's not compared to like I don't know, out of nowhere, somebody coming and be like, "Here's 500 quid or something." Like <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's no, uh, true. Slightly Very true. Maybe I um, could type that in, and then one yeah. day I could do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so like I said, I kind of like um, conceptualize dopamine as a bit of a a compass that helps us guide our um, process of developing a habit by telling us what's right and what's wrong, um, keeping us on a path, essentially. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Cool. So next part. So consistency is for chaos. Although variable rewards can be used to improve habit formation, variability of the action itself can weaken it. This is because variability is the enemy of stable contexts. We're changing context cues. You have to engage in executive control and actually think about your actions. So similar to what I was talking about before, context cue being you're in somebody else's kitchen how do i perform the same action to our conscious mind stable cues aren't a big deal taking pills at different times of a day shouldn't matter if you're sufficiently motivated um but yet at the same time it's it's interesting where even taking pills at the same uh, different times of day can you can get off the rails because of it because let's just say you had like a little routine where it's like breakfast i take my pills the moment you don't have that cue, you forget about the pills even existing unless of course they're in a in a place where you can see them so this is this is one of the reasons or um, if it's like embedded within a bunch of other habits and yeah, one exactly, of those yeah. don't go right. So then the whole sequence is kind of thrown off. Exactly that. And um, then you have to then reprogram each habit individually because you've like lost the whole set, which yeah. I guess is actually funny enough. I didn't think about that, but that's one of the downsides, I guess, of creating like a habit stack because yeah, yeah, if, yeah. if one day you miss one because there's not available to you, your whole bloody habit comes crashing down. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, dopamine helps to direct our attention towards the cues that got us rewards in the past by quickly sending signals to influence our reactions. For this reason, habit cues grab our attention faster than many other aspects of our everyday context. However, they can also be distracting when trying to focus on something different. A classic example, once again, phones. You know, yeah. If you've got cues and associations of scrolling and pleasure, they're likely to distract you when things get tough. Um, contextual cues also take on different meaning when they're in a context that is not associated with um, e.g. Sh- a shaving brush, soap glass, and comb in our kitchens or living rooms. That's quite a good example. You'd be like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, because it's uh, weird. It's like technically, you know, we have all these relationships like, with these objects just, in our rooms yeah. or within and within a specific context. And you, yeah. Imagine you having like, a soap on like your dining room table, just like there's a soap yeah, just on the table. Like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. um, contextual cues can be harnessed to adopt new behaviors by substituting an old behavior for a similar new one, um, yet the same contextual cues can activate it. 
So stacking is most successful when the new behavior is compatible with an existing habit. So yeah, that's kind of what we were just talking about where maybe stuff, you know, like it doesn't make sense to, I don't know, I'm just trying to think how can you put two mutually incompatible, like something to do with coffee, but also being, I don't know, brushing your teeth at the same time. Actually, maybe like, I mean, you could do that. It's just a bit weird. Like brush your I teeth. I think they have to be quite similar, the kind of behaviors. Yeah. Um, or like, yeah, like a, a good one on going together would be like coffee and reading. Whereas yeah. I don't know, I'm just trying to think of an opposite one. Well, Coffee could, and reading like, in bed at night, like that's just yeah. not a good example. That's not what you want to be doing with caffeine. But yeah, and it's it's, just, it's interesting. Like um, the point of substituting a habit for a different one, or like an actual action for a different action, but keeping the same cue and response. Um, I think that's a pretty good way about going about it. And I think was did we cover that in the power of habit? I can't remember, but um, essentially. You know, for instance, if you want to cut down on drinking coffee, then have like a decaf. I know it's a very minor change, but technically you are changing the action and keeping the same cue and, and reward. Yeah, um, I mean, that's what I do at the moment, like I told you, because I don't have the caffeine in the first like two yeah. hours after waking up. So I just have yeah. a decaf and I, it tricks my body into like I still get it's funny enough. I still get the same like like hit from having the coffee in the sense of like yeah. I crave a coffee when I wake up and I have the decaf. So it just shows it's less actually the caffeine. And it's more than just the pleasure of having a coffee in the morning for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's mine. That's literally I take I have a coffee not because I need caffeine, but because it's kind of my my association to it is um, uh, is starting my day. I like to yeah. get out of the house, go for a little walk, get a coffee, and then yeah, um, yeah. Okay, so moving on. Yep. So total control. Uh, although variability can cause friction when building habits, this friction can also be utilized to break habits by making decisions that would lead to further friction to perform an action. We can in advance avoid engaging in bad behaviors. And we've talked about this before, like making decisions that you don't have to make decisions later on. It already cuts off all those bad decisions that you could possibly make down the line. Um, by making uh, decisions that would lead to further friction. Did I just read that? I'm a bit autistic today. Um, as we have seen, behavior change through self-control isn't as effective as behavior change through altering contexts. In addition to this, controlling our actions by continually fighting our desire isn't fun. Um, and actually, I kind of wanted to touch on that because I think that is a big part of it. You know, we can break everything down and like look at something in a reductionist way or mechanistic way and be like you need to do this to do this to do this or you know i want to do this kind of like i want to have this kind of diet but we also need to take into consideration like what we like doing what is pleasurable to us because otherwise we just end up kind of resenting the actual actions that we do and then we don't want to do them at all Uh, so there has to be a bit of leeway a bit of flexibility that can incorporate that it's funny you say that because with my daily reviews, I don't know about you, I have a set of questions I answer and I found myself mm. hating some of the questions just because I was like, oh, yeah. I can't bother to answer this every day. Like, it yeah, just, yeah, yeah. And, and, and then I resented doing it. So what I've done is I've just changed the questions and stuff that interests yeah. me more. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things you have to have that, like, you know, if you're, if you're, I don't know, if you're fighting your desires, you're never going to win, right? So you yeah. have to try and find a way to get it so it, like they align in a way. Exactly, um, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I found that. So as we have seen, behavior change through self-control isn't as effective as behavior change through, oh my God, I keep reading the same thing over again. Um, the reason, <laughs> alter- it. yeah, 
The reason altering uh, context is so effective is that we are lazy creatures that like to do what is easiest in our environments. This emphasizes a key point about habits. They are more likely to form when we act repeatedly without planning and deliberating. Um, then we can relinquish control to the context, allowing our actions to be cued automatically. The four basic building blocks of habits is creating a stable context, reducing friction, making it rewarding, and repeating until it becomes automatic. Very similar to our uh, James Clear's really yeah. some of it at least making it easy, reducing friction, make it rewarding, yeah. creating a stable context, make it obvious. Like you know, it's it's very similar. Yeah, yeah. just rewarded essentially. Absolutely. Um, so the next part we got is jump through windows. Not literally, please don't. Um, <laughs> but habit discontinuity, a term that describes how our habits are disrupted by changes in context. When habitual cues disappear, we are forced to think and make fresh decisions. This allows us to open up to change, which can sometimes lead to improvements, but also, you know, miss it, missing the habits. So um, th this continuity can disrupt our just good enough habits and make us explore newer, more uh, effective ways of doing things. So the double law of habit, so the repetition strengthens our tendency to act, but it also weakens our sensation of that act. Um, I think it's worth adding here sort of, you know, there is some level of like serendipity involved where you realize that sometimes there's better ways to do the same habit. Absolutely. Um, you know, th there comes a point, which is kind of why I guess we do this stuff, which is like the daily review and weekly review. It's kind of like you kind of spend that time thinking about, what you're currently doing as habits and being like, is there actually something else I could be doing? Yeah. Um, which is more enjoyable because let's just say one of the habits you want to pick up is we always kind of go to this because it's an easy example, but you know, do more activities, do more fitness stuff. You know, there might be a better way of getting your 10,000 steps in than you know, doing a walk, exactly. you could play football, yeah. you could do something else. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, we tend to keep doing things long after they have lost meaning for us. However, habit discontinuity, discontinuity can expose us to the underlying reality behind our actions you can create minor discontinuities with new experiences and in new contexts, we can choose behaviors that fit with our current goals and identity making us more genuinely integrated or, or more, a more genuine integrated version of ourselves once we understand how discontinuity works we can use these same dynamics selectively protecting our valued beneficial habits and altering unwanted ones so Not yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna say like it, it's i think it's a really good point um and i only come across this uh concept in this book actually but the idea of leveraging change and leveraging variability to update um habits basically to make them more in line with who we are like we said uh, we touched on a point earlier where you know, we might impose, uh, we might adopt a new habit and the reward at the time is in line with who we are. But then we embed that habit and then over time, our identities change, our values change and that habit we're still doing, right? And the reward yeah. doesn't really need to be in line with our values or identity. But when we like engage in, I don't know, experiences, like you move house and so you need to yeah. create completely new um, routines or whatnot. And so then you're like, oh, wait, this doesn't actually mean anything to me anymore. I need to get rid of this. Um, it just shines a spotlight in a lot of your actions that may not be applicable to you anymore. And I just thought that was yeah. quite a cool point. No, I, I do find, I find it interesting having been somebody as well who's obviously now living in France and who yeah. lives in the UK and how, like, 
the change in itself allowed me to pick up new eating habits and you, like just based upon the the food that I have available to buy if that makes sense like there's yeah. certain things here i only eat would only would ever eat in france because it's only available really in france but it's these small things which like i now habitually eat again and again which are better for me than i would in the uk but that came about because of a change which forced me to like evaluate what i was doing if that makes yeah. sense because i couldn't yeah. continue doing the same thing um so yeah, it's, it's, it's a big, it's one of those things that you told us, if you ever do have a, a big life change say you move into a new place, move to a new, um, yeah, a new place would be the most obvious one. Um, you have the opportunity there to, yeah, redesign, so to speak your life or redesign your habits. Mm. And it's, it should definitely be taken if you can. Yeah. And, and I think, I think it's like necessary. Like I remember because my parents have obviously have recently moved, um, and I was kind of like, now that you're in this new kind of period where everything you haven't created relationships to a lot of your surroundings, just embed fucking habits you want to embed, right? Like create mm. habits because you're in the best kind of position to do so. Um, it, yeah, yeah, like your 100%. environment is new to you. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you got, I guess, you have more conscious control, and it's yeah, you got to set up the new the new procedures, so to speak. The absolutely, new, yeah. Absolutely um so yeah by understanding disruption you'll be able to one protect your good habits they can weather change and two use disruptions to pierce your bad habits in the most vulnerable places yeah i mean that kind of makes a sense makes sense as well if you had a bad habit of doing you know let's just say i mean there was in fact there was that interesting study i can't remember where it was from it might have been power of habit where they were talking about the drug users in vietnam wasn't it and they came back from oh, Vietnam, yeah, yeah. and yeah. then none of them were addicted anymore because it was a completely new environment and it's uh, the point I was trying to make there is you in this new environment, your cues for the bad habits are also gone. So, yeah. you know, it's probably one of the best times you could probably ever have to try and giving up certain things. Maybe even if it's smoking, I'm sure like yeah. it's not, there's not that easy. You can just go like, I'm in a new place. I can stop smoking, but not knowing where the place to buy cigarettes is like the shop and stuff. Yeah. Obviously having yeah. it hidden behind these, the doors they now do in the UK, it's it must make an impact on it, I'm sure at least. Yeah. 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 And, and like, think about the people who you're with, maybe you're always hanging out with someone else who always smokes. And so that's normally your context with which you smoke it. And then you move somewhere else and no one's smoking. And then, you know, you leverage that, um, you leverage that change of context. Yeah. Uh, okay. So moving on. So the special resilience of habits, um, so stress impairs our higher cognitive processes, um, processes involved when we plan, think, uh, think ahead and flexibly act to achieve our goals. Habits act as anchors through stressful times. While our conscious minds are drained by, um, by life, our habits thrive and even perform better as there's nothing to interfere with them. I thought that was a really interesting point that I'd only come across in this um, book, actually, just how like, you know, how our habits perform under stress. Um, and I was, we were saying just before, uh, we started the recording, uh, how like I've been a little stressed recently because of stuff to do with my dissertation. And I've realized that I've just been on autopilot with like my routine that I've happened to embed like over the last three months. And it was just, I suddenly came, like came aware of it and I was like, oh wow, it must be like properly, properly embedded now. Yeah. Like, yeah. Actual, their actual habits. Um, yeah, like you're not, even con- cool. you're not even contemplating it. It's just it's being yeah. done. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so just as habit discontinuities disrupt the cues to habit performance, so too does stress disrupt our conscious selves. The conscious mind focuses on pain, stress, and fatigue, so habits can perform in the background. 
And this makes a lot of sense, like evolutionary. You would still need some kind of mechanism in place that is still driving behavior, even if like shit's hitting the fan, right? Um, and um, those in a sense are our habits. Um, during stress, the neural activity of the brain shifts from areas involved in decision-making and goal pursuit to areas um, involved in habitual respond, uh, responding and rewards. It is important to note that when stressed, we engage in habits, whether good or bad, um, the habit mechanism doesn't really discriminate. Habits are a welcome option for older people as they don't require them to think and instead allow them to act automatically. Although I would hope that I could still think when I'm older. Um, When we are stressed, we should not despair and instead trust the parts of us that will continue to work on our long-term problems and long-term solutions. I think that's quite an interesting um, trust keeps on coming up now and then like trust in the system, trust in yourself. And I do think that plays a big component. Actually, it's like kind of belief or faith that we've touched on in other books um, that, you know, your body will still, or your mind will still tackle your habits. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you don't have the faith, then you're just, yeah, you're going to have to constantly be vigilant. Do you mm. want to trust trust that it knows what it's what it's doing exactly okay so on to the last part before the actionable ideas so we have happy with habits the mere exposure effect refers to the phenomenon that we like things simply because we've grown used to them it suggests that our preferences for what we are used to seeing i mean i i think this is a real thing to be honest like the whole you know the more familiarity you have with something the, the more you yeah. like it just just because it's easier to process so by repeating an action we acquire a sense of predictability which can make our experience less taxing on the mind and also allows us to evaluate what is happening although we prefer things we've been exposed to this effect can also distort our sense of reality as we interact with them uh, based on our past experiences rather than the reality they convey mere exposure happens without our realizing of it when we repeat actions, our preferences change. The effects are subtle and not always apparent to our conscious minds. We think that we might, uh, we think that we make decisions to act, not that our actions influence our decisions. This emphasizes the importance of aligning our habit self, our, our habit self, with our conscious self, if we want to achieve our goals. Habits, it turn out, are a two-way street. A two-way street. They achieve our goals and they become our goals too. I think that's quite an interesting point. Yeah. As well. um, yeah it's funny how over time it does the goal in itself is technically to do the activity because to achieve the further like the main goal you have to have the sub goals of doing the activities yeah yeah. Um, absolutely um but yeah so rituals and habits differ in one important way rituals lack a direct immediate reward and require meaning to be imposed on them However, considering 80% of professional athletes have reported having superstitious behavior, it suggests that merely repeating an action may indeed some, serve some kind of purpose, especially in, in times of uncertainty and anxiety. Uh, in fact, EEG studies have found that students who performed rituals before doing a task responded less extremely to their errors compared to students who, do, who did not perform a ritual, suggesting that rituals act as a buffer against distress when failing. Uh, for me, it's this like the, the idea of, I don't know, if... I guess it builds like confidence, doesn't it? In a way, it's yeah. like it's something that you just because you feel so normal, you go into an, an activity less stressed. Whereas yeah. if you don't, I don't know if you if you're too busy thinking of all the other things, you're going to get stressed out. Whereas doing the specific ritual, you kind of calm yourself almost in a in a, in a weird way. I can I can imagine how that works. Yeah, 
Absolutely. I like the idea of being able to impose meaning on something, even if it seems completely arbitrary to anyone else, but it's like you can create something of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny what you're saying there. So the repetitive actions may satisfy our need for order and predictability. <clears throat> Rituals might also distract us, blocking negative thoughts and stopping us from ruminating, which is kind of what we're just saying. Yeah. So in reality, an ineffective action is ineffective. However, in our intuitive beliefs, we tend to favor actions that we, that we repeat, regardless of how maladaptive they are. This highlights a key point of habits that they are partly responsible for our happiness as they reduce uncertainty and promote feelings of coherence and comprehension of our experience. And that literally links back to what we were saying very at the, at the very beginning, which is like they can increase our happiness because they make us feel integrated, like yeah. they're achieving the things we set ourselves. And in my head, that would obviously, as we were speaking about the dopamine earlier, how obviously dopamine tells us when we're going towards something and it rewards us. You yeah, know, yeah. It makes sense that we're happier when we're, making steps in the right direction and obviously Absolutely. then feeling the guilt and pain from the lack of dopamine when we're, you know, missing the mark, so to speak. Yeah, of course. And there's lack of less conflict within us, right? Yeah. Between our ideal selves and our real selves, because we're actually approaching that ideal self We're we're getting closer to it. We are the ideal person that we set out to be. Um, yeah. I like that. So yeah, I quite, I quite like the book. I thought it was, um, I quite liked understanding the neuroscience behind it and how that kind of matches or, uh, you know, how you can draw parallels with the behavioral approach to it. Um, and I thought it like, also there were a few things in there that I just, I hadn't come across considering we've yeah. read about yeah. seven books on habits now. But. Yeah, no, it's, it's always nice when you get something new, isn't it? But I also quite liked how it, you know, it kind of makes it reaffirms really that the other books are kind of on the pulse as well, because yeah. they're all saying the same thing. So. Yeah. Um, you know, it might be boring for us reading it all to try and put it in these podcasts, but it just reaffirms to me at least that you know these these things are the the scientific ways that things are thought to how to improve your habits, right? So it's yeah, um, they're all converging on the same ideas. In my head, it must there must be something to them. Um, exactly. And to be honest, well, as we've spoken about it, it kind of just the more we spoke about it, sorry, just the more more sense it all makes, um, which yeah. isn't always a, gu- a guarantee that it's true. But I mean, we've also put, you know, some of some of the teachings, in fact, most of these teachings into practice ourselves over the last couple of months. And we've managed to, you know, have some form of success with most of it. Right. In terms of yeah, building no, fitness habits, building daily routines, um, which we follow most days. I think the only thing that I've, I fail on is being more proactive of changing it. So in terms of, you know, I've, I've managed to get this down to a T now. So why am I even monitoring it? I should be, you know, developing a new habit now. So okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get um, which, which is something I'll probably do. Twice. I was going to do it on my monthly review, but you yeah. know, it's something I need to sit down and be like, actually these ones, I, 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 you know, I'm not missing the mark. I don't need yeah, to track yeah. it anymore. I need to track yeah. something else. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So should we, uh, do you want to do the actual ideas? uh yes yeah, so some of them are kind of like actionable ideas some are just like kind of key ideas so, um, so these are just taken from all the stuff we've just been reading about right so if, yeah. if we just want to focus on the ones that matter the most then i'll give a quick little read um okay yeah so essentially you know we overestimate willpower um and underestimate our impact of uh habits on our behavior uh persistence is key um, and persisting through kind of like conscious, you know, um, 
thoughts to try and avoid performing an action is like the way to essentially acquire a habit. You know, there's always going to be conflict, always, and our brains, are, our minds, our conscious minds are always going to come up with reasons yeah. and justifications for not performing an action. That makes sense because we're literally performing an action that is contrary to how we normally behave. Um, yeah. And it requires effort and our brains don't like effort. Um, yeah i've the one i the one that's resonating here with me a lot is this idea that self-restraint and distraction are ineffective strategies for dealing with temptations because it's kind of one of those things that you know even from like the bible right i I swear part of the teachings were like self-restraint control whereas this is kind of advocating for like removal of the stimulus which causes the temptation in the first place so you know removing yeah removing the causes of the temptation let's just say um which i thought was quite an interesting point yeah um, and then you know we talked a lot about this you know lewin's force field so the idea that you know yeah. habits sometimes it's good to focus on the restraining factors rather than the sort of motivating factors towards a habit so we obviously spoke a lot on this podcast about you know having clear goals so that it motivates you to to do the habit but then also there's plenty of things which can you know restrain you whether it's you know making a decision of what to do when to do it where to do it etc and it's by you know focusing removing those restraining forces can often make a bigger impact on your habit success rate than you know pure motivation or pure yeah. you know uh, factors which push you towards it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I'd say on top of that, the uh, idea that you know rewards have to occur really fucking quickly after or while you're performing an action um, because that's how our dopamine system works so if you want that you know habit to be rewarded and um, the likelihood of you performing that made easier next time then the reward needs to come straight away yeah uh, just because of how our dopamine system works yeah and and sort of similar to what you're just saying there this idea that you know different habits require different speeds to answer yep. different time frames to become a habit or to become automatic just as you're saying with the sort of rewards stuff which is like uh rewarding in the action are probably easier to become automatic than things that take a long time to become or aren't as rewarding within the action such as the gym yeah um because I, I don't know about you but you see a lot of like I can't remember which books it is in, but there's a lot of habit books which kind of give you this rough idea where it's like, if you do it for 25 days in a row, if you do it for 60 days in a row, it becomes a habit. I mean, I have to say I've been doing the gym now. God, it must be like four months pretty straight for like four times a week. Mm-hmm. But I still, I still wouldn't even say it's automatic because yeah. it, built into the gym is, it's not like an automatic action. Yeah. Do I think about going? No, I always go. Does that make sense? And now yeah, it's not yeah, a decision yeah. anymore. So if, if, if removing it as a decision is the habit then yes i've achieved that but yeah. the, the fact is i still have to like it's not automatic i don't like automatically just like like a zombie no of course not yeah, yeah. And stuff. so i don't yeah. i don't think if people are expecting that to happen to them where they transform into this like automaton which just goes in and just lifts weight <laughs> it's not going to happen yeah. um so yeah so that, that that's a sort of reality of it i guess so to speak whereas you know some other things are much easier to i don't know me and, me and you both do these cold showers now don't we and i've only yeah. been doing it probably for about a month now but that where you have like an instant dopamine hit is a lot easier in my head to turn into a habit because you know i would even say yeah once again i don't think about it i just get in and do it um and i guess some habits kind of like incorporate or comprised of many many habits right yes and so the mini habits are probably things that yeah you can engage in automatically where you literally don't think about it but bigger things that 
you know, involve multiple actions, you will naturally think about it. Your body just isn't going to suddenly just get up from the desk and just, you know, suddenly you wake up like two hours later and you've done legs. Like, uh, you know, um, but yeah, I think with the smaller things, yeah, you probably can automate that, but obviously now and then you will be conscious of it. Um, Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'd say another thing that I've, uh, I thought was good was the um, contextual cues and how you can, harness um uh habits that you already have by substituting old behaviors with new ones i thought that was quite interesting um how you don't really need to change the cue or the reward because the same things occur um but you just need to substitute it with a similar behavior i think that's an easy kind of way of adopting a um uh a new behavior and i gave an example of like uh drinking coffee like going to get a coffee and then you get a decaf instead. It's a slight yeah. change of behavior. No, non-alcoholic beers as well. That's another yeah. good example. Yeah. Something like, you know, where it's very similar. But yeah. yeah. Um, um, and then another one we got here, such as the, the habit discontinuity. So using opportunities where there's big changes in your life to make sure you can dial in good habits and also remove the bad habits. I think it's, it's something that people should always be sort of like wary of whenever you have like a big change let's say you've started a new job you could be like okay hang on a second i'm going to be in a new environment here what can i like how can i start afresh basically um, yeah absolutely because it's going to be a lot easier yeah um and then lastly i got i like the point on stress and how stress affects our habits you know it impairs our conscious minds but it actually kind of um makes our habits more robust because mm-hmm. that's the kind of default mode that we that we resort to when we are stressed um but yeah so those are the kind of yep. key points key takeaways um if you want to see all the actionable steps you can head on over to wise words the book summary is up um next week we will be doing was it is it tiny habits yeah, let's do tiny habits and then we can move on to hooked yep. and then we'll, yep. after hooked to we'll move on to fitness nutrition Similarly, I guess, linked to the habits sort of stuff where you yeah. know, we're going to be using the stuff we've been building upon in the last two months in terms of how to stick to good habits to then talk about fitness related skills um, and knowledge, et cetera. Like that. So yeah. Yeah. Excited. For Absolutely. It. Sweet. Cool. Well, we will catch you next week. Hey guys, well there you have it. We hope you enjoyed that book summary. Now we know it can be a lot to take in all at once, so if you want to be able to read this in a more palatable size, or you want to be able to implement any of those key actionable ideas that we were talking about in this episode, head on over to our website at wisewords.blog where the book summary will be waiting for you. Also, don't forget to check out our socials as we consistently upload the key ideas, benefits and actionable ideas from all the books that we read. The links to those will be in the description below. Now, we want to be able to get you the best content in a way that's really easy to understand, but we need your help. Your opinion matters. So you are our feedback mechanism. And with those quick actions, whether that's leaving us a like or a dislike, commenting in the comment section below or subscribing to our channel, all of those help us gauge what we're doing well and how to improve on our method of delivery. So if you have any thoughts on the matter, don't hesitate to act. It takes less than 10 seconds and it really helps us out. But with all that being said, Until next time, stay wise.